This morning we'll turn to God's holy word. We'll read together from the Old Testament from the book of Deuteronomy. We'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Read the, the first part of this chapter, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll turn to the last part, verse 26 through uh, 29. So in the first part, to Moses here is this, is, you can say, his last words uh, to the people of Israel before he's, the Lord takes his life and, and he will pass away. And so Moses is given his final instructions within days of his death. And in this chapter, Moses brings, gives his blessings to the 12 tribes of Israel. We're not going to read all the specific blessings that he gives. We'll just read the, the words surrounding those blessings. So chapter 33, verse 1, read God's word. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Zir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand, so they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you. When Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob, thus the Lord became king in Jeshurun, when the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes when the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel uh, together. And then continues on the blessings that God gives to each of the tribes of Israel. And when he is finished giving those blessings, and he continues on in verse 29. Oh, sorry, verse 26. Verse 26. There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, Destroy. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine whose heavens drop down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you shall tread up upon their backs. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's sing together a response from Psalm 44. Psalm 44, the says 1, 2, and 3. This morning we find our text from God's word, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, the first part of verse 27. Actually, it's the, the middle part of the verse where Moses says, and underneath, and underneath are the everlasting arms. <clears throat> Brothers, sisters of our Lord in Jesus Christ, you ever think about how great your God really is? How great is he? Children, when you think about God, how great do you think God really is? 
I suspect that everyone will speak about the Lord God and say, yeah, God's great. God's mighty. God's powerful. And yet, and yet in our heart, we often treat him as, as if God's power is limited. We say the right things. We talk about our mighty God who has created the universe. We say God can do all things. But do you also believe that in your heart? How great do you really think God is when your heart is filled with worry and you're being eaten up with anxiety about the future, about what's going to happen tomorrow? And so isn't it the reality that what we say about God is often at odds with the way that we live our life? And I would say that that is indeed the great struggle of faith. The struggle of faith is to fully trust God in the face of the suffering and the troubles and the misery that we face in our daily lives. Our lives are full of troubles. They're full of all kinds of difficulties that can eat away at our heart. And what do we do then? Well, so often, beloved, we turn to our idols, and we look to our idols to support us, to help us through those troubles of life. And when we talk about idols, idols are those things that we turn to in order to, to help us to cope with the problems that we're dealing with. Idols are the things that, that we hope are going to take away our suffering and our pain. The things that we think will be able to manage my life from moment to moment. After all, we know that we need to continue on in, in life. Life doesn't stop. And so we find ways in which we can get ourselves up in the morning. We find ways in which we can manage so that we can face the troubles of another day. And then when we get to the end of the day, then we find we're, we're relieved. Uh, relieved that we have made it only to worry about how we're going to deal with tomorrow. Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, the, the people of Israel were here, they were standing, you can say, at the border of the land of Canaan. They're about to enter into the promised land. But children, you know what's on the other side of the border, right? There are all these enemies. All these powerful nations with great armies. And Israel, Israel doesn't have an army. Israel is a small, defenseless people. And yet what does God do? God commands them to go into the land and to take the land from their enemies. How is that possible? How can they defeat the great enemy? How can they meet those great challenges that are there in front of them? The challenges are overwhelming. And then Moses says to them, he says, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to die here in the wilderness, for God won't let me go with you into the promised land. Well, remember how the people of Israel, how they leaned on Moses as the one who came and delivered them, rescued them out of Egypt, and how he led them through the wilderness for these 40 years. But this is the end of the journey for Moses. But the people... The people need to continue on with that journey. They need to press on without Moses, and they need to go and enter into the promised land. 
And so Moses, in his last words to Israel, says, But remember, you are not alone. For the Lord your God, he will go with you. There is no one like the God of Jeshurim. Jeshurim means the, the upright one, the righteous one. For he comes and he rides on the heavens in order to help you. Moses says, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Moses The Lord your God is the one who will drive out your enemies before you. And therefore God commands you, go and destroy them. Destroy those powerful nations. And see, notice what Moses does in his last words. is He wants to encourage the people of Israel, do not worry, do not be anxious. For when you enter into this new land, yes, you will encounter great enemies. But remember that underneath are the everlasting arms to carry you and to lift you up. And so this morning, beloved, I may proclaim to you God's word under this theme. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Underneath are the everlasting arms. We'll look at three, two things. First of all, we'll look at the everlasting arms. And secondly, we'll look at what is underneath me. What's underneath you. So one of the questions that we, we often wrestle with as God's people is, is God real? Is God really there? Is there a God? You know that today there are, there are many, many people in our society who argue uh, that the very concept of, a, of God is simply a figment of man's imagination. They say people have simply made up God in their own minds as a way to help them to indeed cope with their life. But you know God, there's no such thing as a God. God's not real. Well, people of Israel had to deal with the same issues as to when they thought about their God. And so Moses, at the end of his life, he calls all the people of Israel together. He does that in much the same way as as Jacob, um, long before that, called all his 12 children together in order that he might bless them. Moses has been acting like a father to the people of Israel, and he wants to, to also leave them as his children with his blessings for the future. And after he has given each one of the tribes of Israel a blessing, then he finally says to them, he says, you know, there is no one like the God of Jeshurim. Jeshurim means the righteous one. Referring could refer to Jacob as the righteous one, or it could even refer to the people of Israel as the righteous one, because God has made them righteous. And so Moses is saying, he says, I will now leave you, and I'm going to die in a matter of just probably, probably days at this time. But remember that the Lord your God, he's real. Moses says, it is a fact that there is no God like your God. He is the one who rides on the heavens to help you. He is the one who comes on the clouds in his great majesty. The Lord your God is is a real God. Remember, it is a fact that he is the one who has carried you in his everlasting arms all these years. You see, earlier in this book, in chapter 4, verse 34, there Moses asked the people of Israel, has any, ever, has any other God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm or by his great and his awesome deeds? Think here of those great plagues, children, that God did in Egypt in order that the Egyptians might let Israel go. That was God's mighty arm. 
Remember, Moses says, how he did that before your very, very own eyes. You saw the reality of God's power in Egypt when he delivered you in a wonderful way. That's God's arms, Moses says, our everlasting arms. Now, no, we, as human beings, we can grow our muscles by working out and by, by lifting weights. And so our arms over time can become stronger. But, you know, the reality is also as we get older, and then there comes a time that our muscles start to deteriorate and our arms grow weaker, until finally we die. But God's arms are powerful arms, arms that never grow weaker, arms that, that have the power to do all things. Moses says, that Moses says is a fact. It's a fact that you need to believe when you now go and you, and, and you conquer the promised land. Remember, it will not be by the power of your very own arm, but it will be by the power of God's arm that you are going to succeed. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, so, so what is the extent of God's arms? How great is God's power? Well, we can say that God is underneath us. He is above us. He is behind us and beside us. He is all around us. Jeremiah writes in chapter 32 or 17 he's about the Lord God. He says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Indeed, how great is God's power? Well, Jeremiah says, look around you. Look at everything that God has created. Take a telescope. Take a telescope and, and look up at the universe above you. And you'll notice it's just too big to be able to see it all. There in the sky above us, there are galaxies one after another. And a galaxy is defined as a gravitationally bound system of stars. And so the galaxy to which we belong is the Milky Way, and it has the sun as the center. And it's estimated that the Milky Way has about 100 billion stars in its galaxy. Yes, I said that right, 100 billion stars. Now, you wonder why God said to Moses or to Abraham, you know, go and count to the stars. So many will your descendants be. And then the number of galaxies, well, there are way too many to, to number. Scientists continually find new galaxies. One estimate is that there's some 29 trillion galaxies out there. And so when you think of that, then this world in which we live is but, in comparison, a tiny grain of sand. So tiny, so small. And then go from your telescope and you go to your microscope, and you look inside of your body, and what you discover in your body is in miniature tiny systems within even tinier systems within even smaller systems. There in our body we find the complexity that is in comparison to the greatness and the grandness of the universe that we see above us. And so as human beings, we stand here between the incredible systems found here within us and the massive universe around us. And so it is humanly incomprehensible for us to, with our finite minds to be able to even understand it, to comprehend it all. 
And yet Moses says, he says, the arms of God are completely around it all. Beloved, we cannot even begin to understand the extent of God's everlasting arms. Well, perhaps you're someone who cannot accept the greatness of God. Cannot accept his ability to be able to do great things. Perhaps your eyes are closed to God's great power. And our eyes are are often closed to God's greatness. Why? Because we think of ourselves as human beings too highly. Great scientists, they see the immensity of the universe, and yet so many of them are completely blind to the greatness of God. Why? Because they think about their own achievements too highly. Maybe you had one of your young children come to you at some point and say, Look, Dad, look, Mom, look how high I can jump. And maybe they managed to jump three, maybe four inches off the ground. Your little daughter thinks she has done a great thing. But, you know, you look at that and you say, well, that's not very high. But like a good sport, you you praise her anyway and you encourage her. Wow, that is great. Perhaps for her it was great. But in reality, it wasn't all that high. But for that little girl, that was a great achievement. And so we can often be like that little girl. We look, look at what I can do. Look at how, how high I can jump. See how great I am. And so what we do is often we do the same thing in our lives. We boast about our achievements, but, but how great are they? Well, they're nothing, beloved, in comparison to God's greatness. And yet we often let our own achievements and our own abilities to cloud our vision so that we can no longer really see the true greatness of our God. But the more we understand the greatness of God, the less we'll also boast about our own achievements. The most wonderful thing that God reveals to us in his word is that he will come to us in order that he might support us with his everlasting arms. God reminds us constantly that his arms are under us and above us and all around us. In Deuteronomy, Moses reminds the people of Israel that God has revealed his greatness to you by delivering you out of Egypt and by leading you through the wilderness. And why did he do that, Moses says in chapter 8, verse 3? He says because he wanted to teach you that you do not live by bread alone, but that you live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There's a refrain that you find coming back time and again in the book of Deuteronomy, and that is the command to remember. To remember and do not forget the Lord your God. Time and again you hear, remember what the Lord God has done for you. Do not forget how he delivered you out of Egypt. Remember how he made a covenant with you when you were at Mount Sinai so that you know that you are his people. Isaiah, many generations later in chapter 63, verses 10 through 12, says to the people, remember now these are the people who are now in exile, punished by God. Why were they punished? Because of the rebellion against God. Why did God God punish them? Because they forgot about God and they no longer remembered him. But then the people 
In the days of Isaiah, they turned back to the Lord God. When did they turn back? When they recalled, when they remembered the days of old. When they remembered the days of Moses and their forefathers in the wilderness. And they ask, in the days of Isaiah, they ask, where is he who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his flock, referring to Moses? Where is he who sent his glorious arm to be at Moses' right hand, the God who divided the waters of the Red Sea? You see what's happening here? In exile, the people are looking back. And they're thinking back to the great shepherd like Moses. When God sent his glorious arm of power with Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. And so the cry of Israel for the great shepherd to come and the great shepherd to deliver them there in exile. That was ultimately fulfilled, beloved, through the coming of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus was not like Moses. Remember, children, how Moses' arms failed him? Remember that was a time when Israel had to fight against the enemy and and Moses had to keep the staff up in the air with his arms? And that was great. As long as Moses' arms were up in the air, remember the people of Israel, they were winning the battle. But there came a time when Moses' arms became tired and his arms started to come down. And when his arms came down, the people started losing the battle. What was God showing Well, God is showing that Moses' arms were too weak. And so Moses needed the help of helpers, Aaron and Hur, uh, to hold up his arms. But beloved, the arms of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, are arms that will never, ever fail us. He came in power that he might deliver us from our sins. Remember how the Lord Jesus says in, in John chapter 10, where he introduces himself as the good shepherd, The good shepherd, he says, who lays down his life for the sheep. There the Lord Jesus reveals his everlasting arms. For there is no end to his power, to his might. He says, I can lay down my life for the sheep. Why? Because I also have the power to take up my life again in the resurrection. And so when you read that the people of Israel, they were bringing their children to the Lord Jesus. Then you have that tender picture in which the Lord Jesus gathers the children in his arms and he blesses them. There his arms are under them. And in his arms he will carry his children. In his arms, beloved, he will carry all his people. That's a wonderful reality. Christ's arms are never too short. His arms are never too weak to be able to carry you. He comes to you also today. He comes to you in his mercy. And he promises as your Savior that he will also lift you up from the pit of your sins and your misery. And he will give to you glorious life in the kingdom of God. The one who has the power to lay down his life and to take it up again. He has everlasting arms. There's nothing too great, nothing too hard for him. And therefore we find our life, our salvation. We look for our eternal security there in the arms of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that means, beloved, that is what is underneath me and what is underneath you matters. You know, if you're walking on a tightrope way up in the sky, 
between two skyscrapers. What is underneath you matters if you should fall. Or if you are skydiving from an airplane, it matters whether you have your parachute on when you jump out of the plane. Moses says to the people of Israel, when you go into the promised land and you drive out your enemies, what is underneath you matters. You know, it's a lesson that the people of Israel learned very quickly when they crossed the Jordan River and they were faced there with this fortress city of Jericho. And they discovered that because of the everlasting arms that were underneath them, God carried them to victory for he fought for them. Children, you remember that story, I think, right? Where uh, the people of Israel, uh, they walked around the city seven days in a row, and the seventh day they walked around the city seven times. And what happened? The city walls, they collapsed. They fell down right in front of the people. Israel didn't use their own arms. God's arms are the one that brought the city walls down. And then Israel, they were emboldened. They thought, oh, we can do everything. And so they thought, you know what? Here's a little city of Ai. A little city. We can, we can take that. No problem. And so they thought, we can do that in our own power rather than waiting for the Lord. And what happened? When they went to try to capture it on their own, they were soundly defeated. Many Israelites were killed. And then they discovered that, that the sin of Achan, Achan who had taken what he shouldn't take from the city of Jericho, meant that God's arms were no longer underneath his people. And when God's arms were no longer under Israel, and then his power was no longer with them either. And the result is that they were routed by that small little army of Ai. And so what is underneath you, beloved, it matters. Moses leaves his people reminding them, God's arms are that are underneath you, it matters. When God is under you, he's able to catch you and he's able to raise you back up again. God, you can say, beloved, is like a safety net under that tightrope uh, so that when you fall, you cannot fall lower than the arms of God. God's arms underneath was necessary for Israel, for without God's arms under them, they could never be saved. And that's the wonderful message of the gospel. You know that, that earlier in, in chapter 30, verse 1 and following, Moses is talking there about when Israel will fall into sin. When God's, and then God's curses will come upon them, and they will be scattered among the nations. And then Moses says, and when you then return back to the Lord, then the Lord will again restore your fortunes, and he will again gather his people, even from the most distant lands on the earth. What's God saying there? Chapter 30, verse 1 and following. Notice, first of all, the word when. God says when. In other words, it's going to happen that my people Israel, they will fall into sin, they will rebel against me. And the time will come when I will need to punish them. The time will come when they will endure my curses. But God also makes very clear, he says, but they cannot fall further uh, than my arms that are underneath them. God is the safety net for his people. He will catch his people in his arms and he's going to raise them back up. 
Now, beloved, this was not a guarantee that, that every single person in Israel who rebelled against the Lord God was going to be saved. But it's God's guarantee that he will be faithful to the covenant that he makes with his people. God's people, God's covenant people will always live in that assurance that underneath there are the everlasting arms of God. And therefore, beloved, you do not want to be like that fellow who jumps from the airplane without a parachute. Or you do not want to be like the tightrope walker who has no safety net underneath him. See, such people, they, they think they don't need a safety net. They don't need uh, a parachute because they think themselves to be invincible. But the reality is that as God's people, we fall. And fall so often. Because we are so weak. And we are so frail. So often we, we fall very low in sin so that our sin threatens to come and to destroy us. And when we fall into sin, beloved, there's none of us who can ever climb out of that sin in our own strength. Think of King David. David who committed adultery with Bathsheba and then when he murdered her, her husband Uriah in order to cover it up. And what did David do there? David dug himself a pit, and he dug himself only a deeper and deeper pit from which he would never be able to have escaped if the everlasting arms of God had not been underneath him in order to catch him and to raise him back up. You know, it's no different for our lives today. We cannot rise up from our own sins through our own power. But what the Lord reveals, beloved, is that you may trust that underneath you there are the everlasting arms of God. So that through his power, we may then also confess our sins. And we may be fully assured that we will again be restored to a living relationship with our God. If you suffer from troubles in your life, well, you know how troubles can, uh, can weigh you down tremendously. But, beloved, you can never go lower than the everlasting arms of God who will bear you up. If you suffer pain and you're dealing with hardships, they can weigh heavy upon you. But, again, you can never go lower than the, than the everlasting arms of God that are underneath. There in his arms, he will catch you and he'll raise you back up. The reality is that as, as Israel had to enter the land and fight the enemy, that was a physical enemy. Today, beloved, we enter into a different battle. We enter into the spiritual battle every day of our lives. And our enemies, and especially the great enemy, the devil, want nothing more than to be able to destroy us. But you know that will be impossible if God's everlasting arms are underneath you. Well, the devil is going to use the troubles and the suffering and the pain in your life to try to bring you down. And as we're reflecting on, on, this, on this text, my thoughts began to drift through the lives of the members of my own congregation. And I'm sure it's no different here in this congregation. And I began to realize that there is pain and there's hurt and there's troubles in the lives of almost every single member of the congregation. Right? There are those, perhaps also among us here today, who, who are dealing with serious illnesses such as cancer or some other medical condition. Those who are dealing with frail and failing bodies because of a medical condition or because of the aging process. Or those who are struggling with mental 
health issues. Perhaps you're dealing with depression. There are people who are dealing with chronic pain. Never escape the pain from day to day. Perhaps there are some who are unsure about their future job security, whenever they'll have a job tomorrow. Perhaps there are parents who grieve because they have wayward children who have turned away from the Lord. It causes heartache and grief. Perhaps your younger parents who are feeling stress with the burden of trying to help your children through some troubles that they may be having. You just don't know how you can best help them through that. Perhaps you're having troubles in some relationships that you're having where stress and tensions have built up to sometimes what seems to be intolerable levels. Others who may be dealing with broken marriage relationships that cause us so much hurt and bitterness. And there are those who struggle with sin. And others who have been overcome with addictions in their lives. Beloved, I don't think there's a single person also here who has not been touched in one way or another with grief and troubles and hardships in their lives. Some perhaps more difficult, more serious than others. We're all touched. In so many ways, we are all broken vessels dealing with various pains that can weigh us down, that can rob us of the joy of life as we suffer the pain. So how do you deal with your pain? How do you face the challenges in your life? You know, it's at this point that we often, what we do is we begin to create idols for ourselves. Idols are those different ways in which we try to cope and we try to manage the troubles in our lives. Manage them on our own. Right, when these troubles weigh us down, we may use different ways to try to lessen the pain. One common approach that leads us down the path, maybe that, I mean, one common approach may lead us down the path of, of addiction, such as drugs, or even medical prescription drugs, alcohol, pornography, perhaps even food, or whatever means that you might have, perhaps gambling. While these idols, they, they present themselves well at first, but they seem to work when you, first of all, use them in lessening the pain that you're feeling because you can forget about that pain. But you know, in the end, what happens is they always enslave us. Right? If you have, a, a broken, if you have broken relationships, when marriages or families fall apart, what happens is we easily give in to self-pity, to anger, to bitterness. You know, for a while, those idols, they make us feel good as we rage about what others have done to us. But in the end, it only consumes us and destroys us. If we have friendships that have become strained, well, then we also suffer pain as a result of loss of those friendships. And then, too, we may let anger or bitterness take over in our heart. Or we do the opposite and we just pretend that I'm okay and we just go on like I don't have a care in the world. Why? Because it seems to be too hurtful or too painful to face the issues and to restore the relationships that are broken. On the one hand, beloved, following those idols, you can say is understandable. None of us, 
None of us want to be hurt. None of us want to be hurt ever again. We want to spare ourselves from such troubles, but in the end, it will only destroy us. And, and so we are called to also examine our own hearts to see where are those idols in our lives. To examine, to, to see whether, in order to discover some of the ways in which I'm trying to cover up the hurt and the pain in my life with those idols. And then we may ask ourselves, so why do we use those idols when we know that they're always going to betray us? Well, the answer is because we do not always fully trust the everlasting arms of God are underneath us. It's like the person who parachutes from a plane but doesn't really trust his or her parachute. Or like the tightrope walker who doesn't trust his safety net. If you don't trust your parachute, you're not going to jump out of the plane. Somebody's going to need to push you out of the plane. If you don't trust your safety net as a tightrope walker, you'll be afraid. And almost certainly you're going to fall because of your fear. And so we can often talk about God. We talk about how great he is. But beloved, do you always also trust that his everlasting arms are there under you? Or do you doubt that? Do you trust with your whole heart that the extent of of the power of Christ's arms is so great that he can carry you through the pain and through the troubles of life? Do you trust the Lord, the one who has come and bought you with his very own blood, that he will come and he will help you to face the troubles of life? That you're then fully confident in Christ, that he will be there to catch you and to raise you up? Often we are afraid to face the troubles of this life. Why? Because we've given those troubles power, power over us. We've allowed those troubles to be so big that in our minds they are bigger than our God is. When Israel, when they came into the land of Canaan, and they saw their enemies, they saw in their minds how big they were and how powerful those enemies were. Frightening. But Moses says, Moses says, remember that the Lord your God is much greater. Do not fear those powerful enemies, but trust the Lord your God, for his everlasting arms are underneath you. You know, when our Lord Jesus came to this world, beloved, as our Savior, he did not fear his enemies. He didn't shy away from the pain and the suffering that he faced in his life. No, he faced them head on. He was not afraid to, to face death either. He even said to his disciples at a certain point, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer and die as a ransom for the sins of my people. Christ did not fear death. He did not fear suffering. Oh, he didn't enjoy it. It caused him pain. But he faced it. He was willing to bear the curse for us on the cross. What pain, what suffering he endured. But those things did not cause him to fear, for he was too powerful. He was too great for that. He came for the very reason to this world, so that he might overcome death by his power, that he might give us life. And therefore, beloved, we have no need to fear our enemies. And you do not need to to worry about suffering and pain and and to to allow the disappointments in your life to, to ruin your life. 
You do not need to be afraid of the challenges that are constantly before you every day, but you may trust with your whole heart that his everlasting arms will always be underneath you, there to catch you and to raise you back up. Because indeed, we cannot stand in our own power. And if we should ever attempt to stand in our own power, we will fail utterly. But beloved, you can stand in the power of your Savior, for he is always underneath you. He is above you. He is beside you. With his everlasting arms, he is always around you, so that you can face the troubles of life with peace in your heart. Beloved, trust. Trust always in the everlasting arms of your Savior that are always underneath you. Amen. Let us sing together a response to the word of our Lord. We sing our praise and also speak of our trust in him with the words of hymn 13. Hymn 13 all stanzas. <laughs> 